Hello and welcome to the Guarda YouTube podcast series. We are here again uh, to celebrate the best of the world creators, the best of the world uh, leaders, but as well create and as well share ideas and minds that are shifting the way our society, society works, the way we can actually make the world a better place, but as well more creative, more cutting edge, more innovative. And as well how we can use technology to help us creating better solutions for everything we're doing, from creatives to uh, ways we deal as a society, but as well to find a more positive element how to look at things. This series um, there are with the citiesabc.com platform and openbusinesscouncil.org are series that I created and started one year ago. We have been interviewing over 165 people from all over the world. And we've been including from ministers to very diverse creators, technologists, scientists, and roboticists. And the, the most important thing is really the fantastic energy we've been creating here, but as well, the things we've been sharing between all the different people that we've been talking and engaging with. And uh, today I am particularly excited about this interview because one of my big passions um, is definitely film. And uh, we're going to be talking with someone that, has, that is an industry expert, but as well as creating a cutting-edge platform that I believe can be a lot of things in terms of the future of film, especially independent film, but can become much bigger. So I welcome to our series Rishi Kapoor, the founder and CEO of Post TV. Welcome to our series. And um, really Thank looking you for at me. Uh, my pleasure, and I'm very excited. So I'll just uh, go through some of my notes here um, that our team put together about Rishi. So Rishi Kapoor, um, and there's a lot of names with Rishi Kapoor, but it's quite unique, this one here, is a, um, an MBA graduate with a background in the TMT sector and an ineffectible uh, a thinker and strong analytic uh, leader that has been focused in building a lot of uh, ecosystems and especially from a background um, in film distribution, both in UK and international. Um, Rishi is a former executive of Sony Pictures, Universal Studios, Warner Brothers and Disney. And has been working with the likes of Netflix, Amazon and Apple. And uh, of course, these are the biggest players nowadays in terms of technology and film. And it's interesting to see that at the moment, um, the likes of Netflix, Amazon and Apple are leading the film industry more than actually anything and becoming global benchmarks and companies that everyone is uh, there looking and spending their time there. So Rishi is the founder of a, a streaming independent filmmaker platform uh, uh, that is Pose TV. POUS.TV that I recommend highly everyone that likes independent film but as well that likes film to go and check because I think it's really uh, amazing what he's putting there but as well the business model that brings with it which is really special and puts the, the creator in the front seat which I think it's an important thing and we've been talking about the creative economy for a long time but we fortunately is not still the way it should be and for instance, in, at the moment, as a final wrap-up and Rishi work, is that uh, there's millions and millions of creators worldwide, but a lot of these creators are struggling. And uh, although we all stream content from TikTok to YouTube, most of this, unfortunately, is not creating money for the creators or for the economy, uh, a creative economy that we are all part of. And even in YouTube channels like mine, as it becomes bigger, 
we're not necessarily making money with YouTube. It's all through other things. So definitely there's a shift that we want to touch and um, we want to look at this. But we want to look as well at the industry at the possibilities that come out of this. So Rishi, I, I'm really excited, but I, I have a lot of questions. So let's go for this and uh, excited to start. Me too, me too. Let's go for it. Okay, so Rishi, so let, let's start by your background because of course you have a fantastic uh, project here, but uh, I always like to, to, to talk about what made you who you are today from an education, probably some part of family as well from the UK to the world and as well from your backgrounds, what made you first of all come to this industry, so your passion and as well, how did you come to create Post TV? Yeah, okay, fantastic. So um, I'm I, uh, born in the UK, grew up in, in a uh, city called Wolverhampton near Birmingham and uh, I grew up with a huge passion for film. Uh, I, it was it was the the one thing I felt as though got people truly immersed and, and lost in time. And so I grew up loving all types of film, independent feature franchise. Um, and then I focused my academic background in economics. So I always I say to people, I'm, econ I'm an economist by nature, as opposed to a, a film executive. I, I studied economics uh, throughout my years. I studied economics at university. And then I focused, I did a focus on economics about my MBA as well. Um, and so the thing that got me into this was um, I'm, I'm passionate about how the economy works. And I just found it fascinating how the economics and the models in streaming weren't working for an area of, of the entertainment industry that I was so passionate about and how actually stories were being told and shared but the economics behind it weren't making sense. And so that's why I love the term the creator economy because it brings both the two things I love, being creative and the economy together. And, uh, and so I kind of, the, the, the very short version of it is that um, economics graduate and academic, um, and then went into film after. And then with pause, I'm, I'm marrying the two, bringing my learnings from both distribution and economics and, and building a platform that's that's the most powerful platform for creators out there when it comes to narrative and storytelling, independent films and, and TV series. Uh, so I want to I want to to start because one of the things that uh, we found out looking at your uh, researching about you is that you start um, Pose.TV with uh, no kind of hardcore technology experience and you start the prototype in your room with 120 pounds. Uh, so around two hundred dollars, and uh, you on board, and and you've been onboarding some of the top award filmmakers in the world, um, and within a week you managed to attract fifty paying users. So can you tell us a bit about creating a platform like this? And I think this shows as well. I think a lot of creators have no digital skills and much less technology. You have fantastic economical skills, of course, and with an MBA, and you work with the top film players in the planet. And as well with BBC, where we start as a role of runner. So a bit of this background, how do you come up to create pause and why you create pause? Because I think it's important to contextualize both you as an entrepreneur and as well the platform. I wanted to solve solve a problem and I'd work I'd been working in distribution. Um, I, I started off, I say at Sony Pictures, and it was we were doing uh, VOD uh, video on demand deals with telecoms clients and and large streamers across Europe so the focus for me was the Benelux regions 
um, and Scandinavia. Um, and, and it was back when Netflix was, was kind of first emerging. And I remember the team at Sony Pictures, the, the team in home entertainment, DVD sales, Blu-rays was much bigger than the digital media team. And now it's completely the reverse, right? Um, so I, um, uh, I, I had worked in streaming and distribution deals for a long time and, and realized that actually it, it, the, the economics and the models behind streaming were only really suitable for a very, very small portion of online creators. And, and actually, if you look at the data, 97% of online creators don't earn any money whatsoever. Um, so I, uh, I sought out to solve this problem, but as you say, I had no technical skills. I couldn't build something myself. And as a sole founder, um, without having a background in, in raising money for startups or even running a successful startup, um, I didn't have much leverage in order to gain, gain investment elsewhere. So I thought, what can I do with the limited resources I have? So I managed to hack together um, a, a website. I think it was Wix or Squarespace, just build something. I, I managed to find out how to put a video um, up on there. And I asked some people that I knew to introduce me to people. I went to networking events. I was, I was fortunate because I was in the industry. Um, I knew uh, I, I knew a fair few people. I just asked, I said, look, put your put your content on here, um, and uh, and I'm I'm gonna allow people to watch it for free, but I'm gonna ask them at the end of the film, can you know can they pay and they choose how much they want to pay to try and road test this idea. Um, and by the way, the problems in streaming I experienced not only at at Sony but it was at Universal through to Warner Brothers. Um, if you if you look at the kind of narrative and the stories, you've got studio franchises and superhero films doing this. Right, if people listen to it on on a podcast, my my hand is moving upwards, which means more and more content is is being made by based on few and fewer uh, franchise material. So there's a formula. It's becoming increasingly commoditized and manufactured. Um, studios are now moving into the franchise space. They're doing uh, second releases of of original formats they're doing follow-ons um and actually original scripted content is just going down um and so didn't have a lot of resources to solve that problem it's a big problem to solve and so i just started where i could um and actually i didn't even know how to build a payment process to begin with so all my buttons were fake so i could i would stream a film and then it would say leave 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 a donation leave a tip uh, pay what you want and when someone pressed that button it would take them nowhere but I was able to manage to track how many people would press that button. Um, and then on top of that, I then managed to build a very, very basic payment gateway that was like a 12 step payment process, very, very annoying for most people. Um, but it enabled me to give the early data and the early validation to go and raise some angel, angel funding elsewhere. elsewhere. And, and uh, this is where this is where Pause came from. And, and, and I'm, I'm really interested in the sort of the mega trends in, in the creative economy. I mean, if you look at Things like, if you look at the gig economy, which is which is almost where the creative economy was born from, was born from the gig economy. And the gig economy was, you know, how do you earn a living or monetize in your spare time through homogenized skills and services? So Uber or Deliveroo, it doesn't matter if you're an Uber driver in London or you're an Uber driver in San Francisco, you're doing the same thing, you're driving from A to B. It's homogenized skills and it's homogenized services whether you're a delivery, a delivery driver in the UK or a delivery driver in uh, India, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're picking up food, you're dropping it off another place. And people were using these platforms 
to earn an income, to earn a living either full time or on the side. And it's a great thing. It allowed employability. You know, th there are other disadvantages to it as well. People not being paid fairly, um, zero hour contracts, but there's a ton of benefits that allowed people to monetize on homogenized services. And that's the gig economy. The gig economy has emerged. It's risen. There's a ton of investment into it. But there's a new wave of, of work coming. There's, there's a new way of life coming, especially as automation starts replacing older jobs. It's not anymore how do you monetize, homogenize skills and services. It's how do you monetize um, personalized skills and services. And a personalized skill and service is creativity. And essentially, this is, this is where Pause was, was born. You know, uh, seeing the rise of the gig economy, looking at automation, the future of work, uh, passion for economics, big film fan. Um, you, you, you mesh all that together. You come up with a, an entertainment service, but baked within that is, is the, the models that are very common in creative economy platforms like Patreon or, or Kickstarter, for example. This is a very powerful stuff, and I have a lot of questions on this. But before that, so can you tell us exactly how Pose TV works? Because it's quite yes. a very innovative model. And let's say for people that never heard about it, and I know that it's a new platform, but the amazing content that you have there is really impressive. And I'm a big consumer of independent film and film in general. Um, and of course, it was, it's one of my biggest passions. So can you tell us how it works and that, let's say, how it works from a user and for a creator? So it's very simple. Pause is very simple. As a user, um, an audience member, a film fan, if you like watching content, you watch stuff on Netflix or Amazon, you can go to Pause right now, www.paus.tv, and you sign up for free very quickly with an email address and password, and you're in. And you get to watch an unlimited supply of independent films. We have hundreds of films across different genres, from factual um, to scripted, to animation, to drama, to comedy, and you get to watch everything. And you'll notice when you're in there that you're not being charged a subscription and you won't be watching any adverts. What we do is very simple. We allow you, the audience at home, to pay what you want at any time during the film um, uh, using a, a, a hybrid uh, mixture of, of approaches, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Microsoft Pay, pay with your credit card. But it's really that simple. Watch films, pay what you want, anytime, any amount, anywhere. If you then look at it from the filmmaker's point of view, again, the process is very easy. If you're, if you're a content creator, you have a web series, you have um, a documentary, you can upload your film on pause for free. Um, you go to filmmaker.pause.tv you upload your film for free and it comes through to our curation team who will watch it. They will, if it's, if it hits a, a basic criteria, we will accept it onto our platform. And then this is your ability to showcase your work to the world and accept payments from anyone in the world, small or large. And that's simply how it is. It's, it's, a, it's a streaming service and micropayments married together so that audiences watch films um, free of adverts, free of being tied into a monthly payment, free of any barriers. And also creators um, can upload their film for free and earn directly from their fans, their friends, their family in a way that has no barriers. 
it's all direct. So it doesn't come in, your money doesn't come into pause and, and you know, two months later we pay out a royalty fee. It goes directly into your account. So if someone leaves a $10 tip in, in New York and you're based in London, pretty soon, either the same day, within a few seconds, within a few days, you will receive your cut of that tip in your account um, pretty quickly. And so that's the kind of core of our business. Now, Dinesh, how we met is because we're rolling out new new uh, offerings as well. We'll come to that a bit later. But um, the core of our business is this idea that, that you pay what you want. You tip the filmmakers directly. Those filmmakers can accept payments from anyone in the world. And it's a way of... Uh, it's a way of, of democratizing the film industry. And we work with uh, a global network of, of, of thousands of creators um, from, you know, we, we work with Sir Ian McKellen on his, his last uh, sci-fi film, which is a feature film, um, which screened on pause for the first time um, about two, three months ago. Um, we are about to release a web series that stars David Tennant for UK audiences. You'll know exactly who that is. But anyone outside the UK, he's somewhat of a national treasure. He was in Doctor Who, he's been a lot, a lot of different things. Um, so we kind of got the, 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 the mainstream celebrities that are also doing independent work. But we also work with a first time filmmaker, a debut writer, director, who's made their very first film in their bedroom um, during lockdown, for example. But it's a great piece of work. There's great ambition and they have an appetite to, to share their work with the world and receive payments in a fairer way. Um, and so we're essentially allowing creators to earn more money in a way that's fairer and allow audiences to watch content in a way that's also fairer as well. Because I think there's there's something conscious that we, we are on, on, on YouTube with this, but there's something undemocratic and, and quite invasive about people thinking that they're on a free platform. And I, I, I think also some, something that's called ad-based free viewing is somewhat of an oxymoron because actually watching adverts and receiving adverts on the internet is not is not free it does cost it costs you and your personal data and if you think that your privacy has a value well you're giving up that privacy but there's also smaller costs right you know your your ability to receive an advert um will cost you in data it will cost you in battery life so there are also hidden costs to being on a platform that serves you adverts so you are directly or indirectly paying some sort of currency to watch an advert. And, and at the same time, that, that value, whether that value is in your personal data, is just going back to the platform. So creators aren't, aren't earning uh, enough. It's, it's like 0.07 uh, uh, pence per view uh, on, on some video platforms. In, uh, this, you know, it's not just in, in, in video and, and audio visual. This problem is also in music as well. Um, like 0.0001 per stream on Spotify. And if you think about the, the, the amount of hundreds of thousands of, of listeners or viewers you need to get to even earn a couple of pounds, it's quite mind boggling. Um, we just reversed it. We said, none of that. We don't need your personal data. We don't need to invade your privacy. We'll allow you to monetize your fan base directly. And so that's essentially what, what pause is. Really impressive, and uh, you, you mentioned a lot of different things and some of the metrics that are really critical. So I would like to touch um, one of the things you were you said earlier. So ninety percent of the, the the creators don't make any money. So and the creative economy, and this is a paradox because we are increasingly in a creative economy, and as things get automated, um, in the end of the day, both from brands' perspective, from um, 
I would say from an entire economical perspective, with gamification becoming bigger and bigger and automation taking over most of the jobs, the jobs that will become more relevant is actually precisely the creative economy, which at the moment some studies, and I will quote a study that actually um, we've been using, that um, around 3% of the world economy is right now a creator economy, more or less. Um, I would say probably is more than 3% um, because in the end of the day, it touches so much more people. But these are big numbers. And I think, for instance, I will just, this 3% contribution to the global gross domestic product, um, GDP, this is the creativity sectors that makes it the most powerful emerging economical sector. So I, would, I know having you an MBA, but as well creating a platform on this, and as well, you touch a lot of things. For instance, of course, we're using uh, on this series, both YouTube and podcasts, but this is all major global uh, corporations. And uh, like you said, most of these global corporations, and I speak for myself, um, they're not paying us anything and they don't care less. Even me, we're getting close to 10 million views. They don't care less who I am. They mostly even probably will forget uh, some information about me, even if I worked probably with them in the past and managing as well multi-million dollars budgets, they don't care about me. And this is, happens in a lot of these big corporations is a lack of uh, personalization. But then if you are a creator, and, and this is the paradox, is that uh, in terms of uh, research and development and all these measures, for instance, Apple is dependent of the creators to make all their economics. Um, Amazon is the same. Google, of course, YouTube right now is the biggest revenue stream of the YouTube, of the group, of Alphabet group. Um, so I would like to, and of course, Netflix make it, became a powerhouse precisely serving these audiences and, and being very smart and taking this forward. So my question is for you is, okay, looking at 97% of the creators not making any money, which is almost everyone, and then 3% of the global GDP right now becoming on the creativity sector. Um, so... And directly and indirectly, because this creates a lot of jobs. But for instance, the UK was a huge, especially with previous uh, iterations of governments, a huge focus on the creative economy, then even done a bit. And at the moment, it's a bit of a paradox, because of course, even for instance, if you are in TikTok, it creates a new industry with influencers, drivers of traffic, and so forth. So there's a lot of segments. You cannot put this in a box, because for instance, if you look at some of the top filmmakers like uh, David Fincher and... Um, even really Scott, they start with uh, with film in advertisement, yes. um, and uh, some of them making video clips. Uh, for instance, Spike Jones started doing fantastic video clips, and actually initially it was just actually doing videos of him playing radical sports, and then he became, of course, powerhouse filmmakers worldwide. So I would like to touch this complexity of the industries, but as well the lack of these players to understand that they have to really do something, and I think that's where platforms like yours can actually make a big difference but i would like to hear your views from the the industry at large yeah so i think what's what's slowly happening is that these creative economy platforms are solving that problem of not only monetization but the relationships that you can build with your fan base so it's not only good for the creative it's also good for fans that want to build more intimate deeper relationships with with the creators that they love now as you say you know it's now starting to be broken up into different chunks so musicians will go on to SoundCloud or, or you know, Spotify. Um, if you're interested in voice or podcasting, you've gone to Clubhouse, which, which interestingly launched its, um, its, its own tipping feature where you, you get to pay people directly. Um, if you're into uh, writing and newsletters, you'll go into Substack, um, where you can earn a, a, monthly, a monthly revenue on, on your newsletter. 
obviously if, if you just want to make user-generated video um youtube is is a global platform and it's great for that uh, but again the the the, the, the figures in, in ad revenue is is uh, challenging um but i think what's happening with the creative economy is that yeah 97 percent of creators online are not earning any money creative economy platforms emerge to solve that problem but not only solve the problem of earning money but all, almost by default solves the problem of curation by splitting out these groups. I mean, Twitch is a great example. Um, people, people were watching gaming content on YouTube and then Twitch just took those people and, and put them on Twitch. Um, and, and again, those people earn, uh, some people earn a, a really good living just by being gamers online. So I think what's happening is, is uh, uh, the creative economy is being broken up because each medium is different. Each medium has its own nuances. So musicians uh, require certain things from their fans. They require certain things from the creative economy space. That, that makes something like Twitch not a viable solution for all musicians. Um, you have the same with Clubhouse. Clubhouse wouldn't work with film, for example, because it's all voice and audio. Um, but it works much better than, um, I don't know, let's use Twitch again. It'll work much better for those kind of creators than, than Twitch. And so where pause comes in is that you have all these different creative economy platforms that solve problems for these different types of creators and, and you, you over-survey a, a growing sector of the creative economy space. Where pause comes in is that we do that with, with a certain group of creators and those creators are storytellers. They're the ones who have, uh, it doesn't have to be high production value because I was talking about Ian McKellen and his feature film. That entire film was shot on an iPhone. So it's not as though you have to have a certain wealth or a certain budget of film to be on pause, but we focus on high quality, high end uh, narrative storytelling film, web series and, and TV. Uh, and, and the reason why we are better served for that type of creator than, than on the platforms is because we understand the nuances of, of film and licensing agreements. We understand that as a filmmaker, there are other objectives outside the revenue that you want to be in film festivals, you want to try and get a distribution deal, you want to try and cut dis different distribution deals with different territories. And that's why we introduce things like geo-blocking and digital rights management within our service itself so that you can be on pause, but you can be on pause just in the UK because you want to, for example, get into Sundance and they don't want you to stream in, in, in anywhere else in Europe. And we can allow you to do that so you can reach, you can still reach your audience, still monetize from it, but it doesn't impact your right to go and get a deal elsewhere. And, and again, I'll, I'll come back to the example of, of a, a feature film that we did um, within McKellen that streamed on pause and then went on to theatrical release in the US um, and then went on to, to home entertainment release in New Zealand and Australia. Now that can only be done on a platform like ours because we understand what the window periods are we understand that how we can we can curate a streaming experience but not impact your rights to then go and sell it elsewhere and so the creative economy space is important youtube was a catch-all so whether you're a musician or you're you make user-generated content or you make film it would take it all um and then just give a blanket approach to all of it which is put up on here we give the same thing to every single person if you got views you'll get ad revenue doesn't really i mean the, the the whole idea of of uh black box sort of technology that that puts up a relevant advert before the, your your content just doesn't work 
Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it creates a whole host of problems for creators. And I, and I do think <clears throat> adverts might be a, a slight tangent here, but I do think adverts online was almost a, a necessary way of monetizing the internet before the internet was, uh, was built for things like uh, blockchain or was built for things like online payments. Adverts was a necessary evil. It was, it, was the, it was the only way when the internet was first born that you can monetize the internet was just showing adverts. But things have moved on now. And I think that's where creative economy space is so important because this is the future of um, how we can solve the, the problem for those 3% who don't need to rely on those traditional models of pure ad-based alone. So, so I wanna uh, then touch, um, so let's, let's look at the creative economy if, if we have a bit of time for that. So in terms of the creative economy, it's a very complex ecosystem. And for instance, um, you have, of course, uh, uh, the expertise of, and the experience of having worked with the biggest players like Warner Brothers, Netflix, Apple, and so forth. So how you see this, this part of the creative economy when it comes to the platform you're creating. And I love the idea that uh, the artist gets immediately the fee because for instance, in, for instance, in YouTube, it's something that annoys me and I, I put this public here is that YouTube does everything for the artist not to get the money um, or the creator or the YouTuber, which is something that really is annoying because you have to go through this layer, this layer, this layer. And at a certain point, the person thinks, okay, it's really ridiculous. Even me, I think it's ridiculous to the point that I know about these things, but I don't waste, I don't want to waste time. We are in an economy of immediate results. Even Google is supposed to be immediate to get the search in a couple <laughs> yeah. of seconds. And then to pay, they take ages and they don't care less. And of course, right now there's a lot of areas, but this touches, it's a big thing. For instance, Spotify is 30% of the music industry worldwide. And um, and of course, uh, there's a lot of other challenges that we are facing in terms of this, but there's a huge component is that a huge part of these creators are on the edge. Um, I, I met a lot of creators from arts to film and most of these people are always on the edge, are on the edge of uh, not having funding for the next day, um, not having any kind of stability or economical sustainability. And for us, if you are in Europe, you more or less lucky still because you can have some grants from the government where you're based. For instance, France has a very generous package for their creators. You have Arte in France and Germany that have been one of the most innovative programs and television programs in the world. Um, but if you go to the US and if you go to the rest of the world, unless you go really very high profile commercial and even most of the people in Hollywood start their careers working in bars and restaurants to feed the rest. Um, so this is kind of, of course, it's kind of a, a cliche but it's a reality. And there was a study that actually alarmed me quite significant that was most of the artists and creators are living on the verge of poverty. And all of these people, this is actually not my data, it was a public data. Um, there was something that I was listening from Nesta, the innovation department here in the UK. And that scares me because, come on, we're talking about people highly educated. And to be honest, if you are Apple of all these guys, you should be actually having them as your driver. But in the end of the day, there's another paradox is that they don't have any digital skills. Most of the people have no followers. And even if you want to get followers, you need to have money to, to manage and create followers and to get the views that we have. Mm -hmm. This doesn't happen by accident. So can you tell us a bit about what you've been finding? And of course, you have in your platform both 
of course, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, which is the, one of the biggest uh, actors in the planet, and he was in some of the biggest franchises. But you have a lot of very young people that just start their career. So how do you see talking with them and engaging with them these kind of different things? And how you, I know that you're putting together with a lot of innovation, but as well at large, how do you see the industries and this challenge that we have right now? So I, um, the, 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 the one thing I get from, from creators is, uh, as you say, artists aren't necessarily branding experts. So how do you brand yourself as an artist and how do you get followers and, and, uh, and get reach? And so this is for us, what we do quite, quite regularly is release material on how to best promote your film. And I really like the term, the film entrepreneur which is a film entrepreneur. Um, and because, you know, one of the challenges that creators have, musicians or, or, or filmmakers, when you, you mentioned grant funding, now we've got, I'm not sure what, the, what it's like in, in, in the rest of Europe, but we have a, an issue in the UK where there are grant funds available, but um, they just keep going to the same people over and over again. And there's this, there's this impasse when it comes to grant funding where and I've worked with these bodies before, these public bodies that, that issue grant funding. Um, to get a grant fund, you need uh, an established track record in, in content. To get an established, record, uh, established track record, you need grant funding. So there's a huge chicken and egg problem when it comes to grant funding in the UK. Um, and, we, and that's why grant funding goes back to the same people over and over again. And there's also an issue in film of, of diversity and, and equality because uh, media, like you said about being on the edge of poverty, media is really bad for that because what, what the expectation is if you wanna work in film and media is that you do it for free. You're, you're a runner on a set, but you do it for free because you want a free internship. Um, you wanna work in music, you go into that studio and you say, look, I will go and make you coffees and teas all day and I'll do it for free, I just want the experience. And that's, that's really, we had this at Warner Brothers as well. We would have people all the time writing to us and saying, look, I, I love Warner Brothers, I love film, and I love the Harry Potter franchise. I wanna come and work there. I will do it for free. And, and obviously we, we weren't allowed to take interns for free, but the idea that people could come in and live in central London and transport themselves to an office in central London and then work all day and have no income and then go back home and feed themselves that's a huge privilege. That is a huge privilege for, for people. And, and that's why there's this whole lack of, of diversity in, in film because um, to be able to work for free uh, is only for a, a very small percentage of people who can afford to do that. If you, are, uh, if, if you require income to pay rent, to pay bills, you don't have the luxury of going to a film set or a musician and say, look, I love what you do. I'd happily help you out for free. Um, and so then it builds up an ecosystem of wealthy individuals and sons and daughters of wealthy individuals emerging through the film industry and, and something crazy like um, I think only 7% of the UK population is privately educated, but 30% uh, of the uh, workforce in media is privately educated. So, so it, it's, it's completely disproportionate. And then uh, it, it, it then it has that knock-on effect, which means okay, those creators who can't rely on grant funding, who can't rely on, on takings from friends and family, then have to try and create their own ecosystem through the creative economy platform like Pause. 
and earn a living through that. And then what we do is a, a really fair revenue split. Um, so they keep pretty much everything that they earn. Um, and we allow them to do it easily, quickly, and also have money straight away. Like you said, there's no waiting. But obviously the, 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 the issue for artists now is, and I think this is the new wave when it comes to the creator economy, it's, it's both together. Um, it's being a creator, but also understanding your economy. And this whole idea that show business becomes all about show and no business for many people. Um, that's not, by the way, I stole that line from, from an investor of mine who said, uh, yeah, show business is all show and no business when it comes to most people. It, it business has uh, twice the amount of letters, but half the amount of attention. And, and I agree, and for many people, a lot of creators who are in show business, um, the business comes secondary and they create with, with the creative economy platforms. I think what, what's been proven is that you can be a creator but you can also become a commercially aware in order to market yourself, find your, because your audience lives there. You know, there is an audience for pretty much everything today. There are niche communities out there that will love your work and will want to follow you and you can gain a following organically slower and build a business around that if you have the right tools. And as you say, Dinesh, that most, most artists out there um, aren't digitally savvy and they don't know how to build an audience and social can sometimes be, be a struggle for them. Um, but I see a future of not just creators, but creative entrepreneurs that are using platforms, not only to just earn a bit of money here and there, but actually look to these platforms like Pause or Substack uh, or Clubhouse to earn a significant salary and it frees them up to be creative individuals. And that's why I see the future of work is, is being creative, following your passion, but earning a living from it as well at the same time. Uh, but as you say, you know, the, ch the challenge is teaching uh, someone who loves show about the business. And we try, again, we try and make that as easy as possible by educating people um, about distribution, promotion, marketing. Um, and it's the first question we ask when a filmmaker comes to us and says, um, do you like my film? Can you put it on pause? I always go back and say, why? Why do you want it on pause? Uh, and, and I'm, I'm leading the, the, the creator to give me a strategy behind their content. Um, content alone, as good as it may be, is not enough to, um, to, to cut through the noise. Because, you know, it's very difficult for things to also to go viral. I mean, if you look at Tiger King on Netflix, that went viral, I think it was last year. That only went viral because Netflix has a core group of users who are already on it that can then talk about the Tiger King. If the Tiger King was on, I don't know, Movie, for example, a movie is a great platform, but has a fraction of the of the subscribers as Netflix, or let's say Tiger King was on uh, Curzon Home Cinema, um, it would not have gone viral. People would not be talking about it. It's the same content, but you need a critical mass of audiences on a platform in order for something to go viral, which means if you don't have that leverage to go viral, you then have to do a lot of the hard work yourself in terms of self-promotion. But we see a future at pause where more storytellers, more filmmakers um, look to these platforms to earn a sustainable income and become more commercially aware and commercially focused so that you know each person can run their own Mini, mini business through uh, film business through through a platform like Pause. I think that is really impressive, and I hope uh, and I will be, of course, promoting as much as I can because I think it's really it can create so much opportunities and and change so much stuff. It's not 
simple though there's a lot of challenges on that level so i want to touch right now a bit of the film industry so as someone that has been um going through basically put recent post on linkedin about the bollywood industry which is the biggest producer of films but you are working with some of the leading filmmakers uh, you have uh, with rain rain dance and a lot of high profile organizations worldwide so can you tell us from the ecosystem both the the because if you look at the film industry as well as like a, a few organizations it's Hollywood and Bollywood <clears throat> and then you have the festivals like Cannes or Raindance and so forth and then you have of course a lot of filmmakers independent producers and so forth that control most of the things and then in the middle is like you said all these people we've been talking about that are the producers and and the creators but they are always a bit on the edge so in terms of the film industry there's a lot of stuff happening <clears throat> from the adoption of artificial intelligence uh, to create better scripts and try to look at data and so forth from Netflix that is of course looking more and more increasing into data to drive traffic and as well to create series that have engagement and uh, and of course from the star system that is a bit different from the previous times and then of course there's platforms like yours that are um, I think the challenge we're facing is that we don't have really a big platform worldwide that is really independent like I think if you look at the, the last 20 years with the inception of the digital economy that we've been talking about, ironically, the digital economy and the internet economy that we are in the fourth year industrial revolution, it only create monopolies. It didn't create actually, it, probably the, the only exception is really Wikipedia and organizations like WordPress that are the foundation or even um, some kind of software open source. And even with the crypto industry, we still didn't create any kind of unicorn or I'm talking, well, unicorns are great a lot, but uh, in terms of money and trading, but I'm talking in terms of serving billions of people, we are failing massive. Let's put it that way. And that partly is because of UI UX It's partly because of traffic, because if you don't have millions of people coming to your platform, it can be the best in the planet, but it's worthless. So I would like to touch about this. How do you see the, the present challenge of the film industry? And as well, another element is the digitalization of the film industry. It's really, there's a lot of challenge in terms of digital transformation. Like you mentioned, the paradox is the artists are used in most advanced technologies for making their films and editing and so forth, but they don't even know how to use branding basic digital profiles. Most of them don't have a proper digital profile, even on Instagram um, or even on YouTube. They don't know how to use this, this kind of mainstream platforms. And this is very difficult as well, because being an artist, you are focused in making your art really good or a filmmaker, which is even more complex because it's a teamwork. But at the same time, it implies that if you don't have a good brand in IMBD, if you don't know how to position yourselves in Rotten Tomatoes, no way you're going to be scaling your work. And there's filmmakers, for instance, uh, from Jonas Mackers to Chris Marker that really made achievements and they're like historic filmmakers, but they're always on the fringes. And um, even Jim Jarmusch or Wim Wenders and a lot of these personalities, they made one or two mainstream films, but they've been always kind of the, in the kind of auteur kind of circuit and uh, very difficult to go to the other areas. But, but it's a paradox because with all these kind of uh, platforms, this should be different because this should be opportunities for almost everyone to create their own niches and make revenues. And I think this is kind of centralized. So I'd like to see how do you see the film industry and the challenge that I'm sure you are, you are better qualified to answer than anyone. Yeah, so the the industry as a whole are obviously increasingly becoming digital, and um, the average household number of subscriptions is increasing at a very slow rate, but it's increasing. So, so households' expenditure and their entertainment wallet is getting slightly bigger. 
Um, we obviously have cord cutting and, and, and linear TV um, being, uh, being challenged by, by online streamers. Now, the, the biggest challenge that the industry faces overall is that, and I can, I can break it down to three core buckets. To, to work really well in the media industry, you only work off three pillars broadly. I mean, this is a quite generalist, but just, just to kind of uh, compartmentalize all, all the thinking, you can compete on three different ways. You can compete on technology, uh, content, or business model. And so when, when platforms say content is king, where well, you're ignoring the technology and you're also ignoring the business model. And I'll give you a few examples here. Um, uh, Quibi, uh, that if you could remember, launched um, in 2020, uh, spent a billion dollars on, on content and it was supposed to be high-end, short-form, uh, Hollywood in your pocket in, in five minutes type of type of thing. And then they, they folded within six months. They had a billion dollars spent on content and folded within six months. And actually the amount they spent per minute um, was probably more than what Disney spent per minute on their content because they spent a lot of money on very, very short form pieces of content. So why did a company like Quibi with uh, really good technology um, and amount spent on content collapse after just a few months? Well, if you look at all those things, um, was the technology of Quibi far but 10x better than, than the technology of, of Netflix or Disney? Arguably no. I mean, I know they did their thing where if you rotated your phone, you could zoom in. But this, this is kind of a, an incremental change of, of, of watching content online. And I, to some extent, online streaming of video and online streaming of content is somewhat of a commodity. There's, there's very little you, you can do on top of watching a piece of content on your screen that 10X is the technology elsewhere. You can have fluid viewing. I mean, Pause has that, right? You, we have Chromecast, we have AirPlay, we have fluid viewing across different devices, um, but that becomes the status, status quo. Then you look at the other two um, pillars in order to compete in the media industry, it's content and it's revenue model. And now to really win at content, you have to get exclusive deals. You have to get stuff that's new and you are competing for eyeballs with uh, Netflix and Disney who have what, like 15 billion spend on content. So, you know, they, they will spend more on like one episode of one series than probably our entire next round of funding. Right. So, so as, as a, as a startup or, or any platform media, whether you're, you're Paramount Plus or, or you're, you're Warners and, and you're, you're creating a new direct-to-consumer offering, um, not a lot of them can, can write the same checks that Netflix can in terms of spending on content. So then it comes to business model, right? Can you compete on technology? Can you 10X what's, what's already out there? Maybe, maybe not. Can you, can you outspend and can you 10X on content? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but can you play around with business models? And this is where Pause comes in. If someone says, well, how do you compete with, with Netflix? How do you compete with global streamers? Well, look, Netflix has wonderful content and will always outspend their competitors on, on what they're going to produce. Um, technology becomes a status quo so that people expect a certain thing. You don't go to Disney because the quality of the streaming is better than Netflix. You don't do that. You go to Disney Plus because you're watching a different type of content that you want to watch on Netflix. And then business model has become the status quo across streamers as well, because every streamer goes for the same options. AVOD, advertisement video on demand, 
TVOD, Transactional Video On Demand, or SVOD, Subscription Video On Demand, or even PVOD, which is Premium Video On Demand. And so when pause comes in, is a completely new model um, uh, and competes in that model say, okay, well, we, 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 we won't spend $15 billion on content and we're not going to reinvent um, uh, content streaming on, on mobile devices, but we're gonna give you a model that is, is far fairer for you and far fairer for the content that you're watching as well. And so the biggest issue for, for emerging uh, streamers, um, I kind of look at this as horizontal platforms and vertical platforms and, and people have different takes on what horizontal and vertical means, but essentially horizontal is across different genres. You have no specialism in niche, you work across everything. And then you've got these vertical platforms that work, that focus in on communities like Crunchyroll, for example, or, or Rooster Teeth. Um, they, they understand their niche community and they, they serve that niche community. So I think the, the benefit of being a niche or independent on-demand service is that you fill the gaps that Netflix and Amazon and Disney leave. You fill the gaps that those companies leave because they cannot... Uh, you, you can't be uh, mass media and, and popular culture and also be niche and subculture at the same time. And culture forms from subculture. And so the, the great thing about niche on-demand services is that this is where subculture lives and this is where communities can be built. So, and a community doesn't necessarily mean small. Twitch is still a community. It's just a very, very big community. Um, so I think the challenge is for uh, how does a new media company compete on those three pillars um, but also how do you find your niche in a way that's scalable and how do you how do you create a community around digital streaming because communities don't live on Netflix there, there's no Netflix community you don't go to a party um, for all Netflix subscribers because everyone's a Netflix subscriber right but you will connect with people who are interested in Japanese anime or interested in short form horror and this is this is great for for niche communities because those digital platforms are filling in that kind of that noise um, that Netflix and, and Disney and Amazon just simply cannot do because they don't they, they're not able to serve both niche and and mainstream at the same time. These are critical points. I think you you touch a lot of the things, but I think the challenge is still how you drive traffic and how you create a decentralized or at least a bit more of. Um, platform that is an ecosystem that feeds itself and as well grows in a, in a sustainable way because that's the the holy grail that we have and all the criticism around the biggest players of silicon valley and even the chinese players because of course tiktok right now is with 1.2 billion uh, people i think using it so it's becoming actually the biggest platform is actually completely coming out of chinese so this is right now very broad worldwide <clears throat> but one of one of the questions i have so let, uh, and I know that you're quite expert on that area. Um, if you could elaborate a bit on IP and royalty. So um, as someone that has been working with some of the biggest uh, studios and distribution houses in the planet, how do you see, and as well on your head uh, as an MBA, how can we actually fix the IP royalty in the film industry and creator industry? Because the challenge right now is that it's a paradox. In one end, you can create the best script in the world. And, um, and then, of course, if you sell it, if you don't have a good lawyer, you probably will just be immediately on that step. You are already out of the game. You lose yeah. control totally. And that is the snowball effect. I remember that I worked with, uh, in my previous uh, iterations of my career, with some actually very high-profile filmmakers. 
And I had the case of, I want to do a film. It was actually in a festival that was organizing. I'll start with this as an example. And we were trying to pass, I think it was Strong. And uh, it was Strong with music, with the DJ that was just passing on that. And we asked permission to Disney uh, in the country where we were based. And then Disney says, we don't know how to do that. <laughs> so they just pass <laughs> the stuff. And, and ultimately, okay, so we could just use the film and not pay any rights. <laughs> and ultimately, probably they didn't care less, which is what most of the people do. But if you want to respect this, you have in a paradox that's okay, these organizations don't even know how to do it. So because there's a lot of creators trying to use, of course, clips of other films. And if you go to YouTube, it's a paradox. For instance, sometimes I'm trying to look at the trailer of a new film and it appears a, 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 another trailer done by a fan and I, I got confused sometimes I get really confused what the hell how the hell YouTube recommends me a non-original trailer for a film and then it confuses everyone and, and this is of yeah. course there's worse than this but this shows as well that the IP the ownership the credibility around the profile of the artist because in the end of the day for instance, uh, it, there's a lot of people, for instance, even people on my own, and I'm not uh, a filmmaker on that level or anything else. It's, it's kind of a, people just uh, misappropriate my, my brand and they try to use it on Instagram. For instance, I, there was one person, I think it still exists, or two using my name on Instagram. <clears throat> and uh, I actually put a notice to, to Instagram and there were actually people that were scammed through that person. And, uh, and uh, Instagram didn't care less. Okay, so... And actually, there was another thing I put a note on Instagram. I think they answered to me three months afterwards with an automated message when I fixed the problem previously. So this is the kind of problem that even, and I have 200,000 followers on Instagram. So they should, it's not like I am nobody, but there is this yeah. kind of things that, that happens, okay? So that's in one hand, the identity of the artist and the creator. There's the IP that you're creating and the royalties, which of course in a film is critical because in a film you have the director, the producer, of course the producer normally gets the rights but there's like a lot of levels of production and if you have a studio you are as well passing the rights and then let's say 10 years afterwards who's going to own the rights of the film or of the video or whatever or everything so how do you see this part of the especially the royalties and and, and the kind of all the the, the 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 areas of ownership and payment of rights and so forth i mean look it's it's a massive challenge and i think that since um since the invention of mp4 where you could just digitize something and put it online uh, ip has been a nightmare and really the, the, the nightmare started off for musicians and i think the problem is that um ip attorneys uh <clears throat> yeah i mean I, again i don't make a general statement but a lot of ip attorneys that i've met um, yeah. just don't understand uh necessarily how to protect against all forms of copyright infringement online because it's very, very difficult. Now, the natural solution here, and uh, I'm gonna say that dreaded word, which is blockchain, but the natural solution here is some form of smart contract that uh, it protects that IP um, to some degree more than it's currently being protected. Um, it's too easy to, to uh, infringe copyright right now. Um, and especially when you start going overseas and doing deals abroad, to manage that is very difficult. Now, one company in particular is really good is a company called Film Chain. Uh, we know them quite well. And uh, we always recommend them when someone has a, quite a, a, a nuanced contract because contracts with, with independent film and IP contracts with independent film or even feature films, they're very, very complex. Um, and you have to, I suppose the issue is to monetize a piece of content 
you have to be able to, to do deals in different countries. You have to sell the same thing to different countries. Um, so if you make a film in the UK, you want to do a deal with uh, a broadcaster in Germany, but you want to geoblock that broadcaster because you want to do a, a different deal with the same piece of content in India. And then you want to do a deal in Africa. You want to do a deal in New Zealand, Australia. So you've got to stop that. You know, you, you've got to stop somehow. You've got to block the content being viewed in those countries and people stealing it for free because then it, it the, the value of your content is, the, is, is your IP, right? It's your ability to protect your IP, which is very difficult to do with the invention of MP4 that then just allows people to send stuff and transact stuff. Um, look, I've done it. I, I, I've also done it myself in that I purchased um, a, a ticket to watch a, an independent film that was newly released. And I got sent a link, a private link that only I could watch. And as, an, as, as a test, I sent it around to a few of my employees and said, hey, just click this link, see if you can watch this film. And they were all able to watch it. Um, and so it's it, it's it's beyond not just IP, but how do you manage royalty fees based based on views? So I don't have a, a magic solution. I think it's a massive challenge. It's been a challenge for a long time. I think the natural solution here, um, and, and I'm probably speaking out of my own depth here, but the natural solution here is smart contracts um, and and blockchain. I've seen a really good example of film chain that basically allows filmmakers to create smart contracts. It 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 doesn't stop, but it definitely helps the issue of protecting IP, but also protecting the royalties as well, because you will have uh, one of the, the difficulties in film is that you have a piece of content and you want to distribute it on YouTube and you want to put it on pause and you might want to put it on Vimeo. You might want to do a deal uh, with a local OTT service in Africa. And so not only is the copyright, but then there's the royalty, like how do you manage all the payments from all these different people? And it, and it just becomes very, very difficult. Um, and you know, I don't know. There's, there's not too many solutions to it, but one solution that we used is a blockchain solution that allows you to receive all the money from all these different places in a centralized account and then take it off in one go. Uh, the reason why Pause opted to pay out daily is because we didn't want to be an escrow account. We didn't want to be another one of those places where the filmmaker has to figure out when their money's coming to them. It comes to them straight away, so so there's there's no blocker. But you know, I think. Uh, the, the the issue of, of IP is really because that's how you monetize content is your ability to do deals in different territories and do different kinds of deals at different times as well, right? Because you want to be able to carve out a window period for your film. You might want to carve out um, a two-month deal on, on an exclusivity clause to then showcase that piece of content with another, with another um, broadcaster for a two-month period. And you need to manage your IP to the extent that you can take it away from another one, give it to another one for a limited period of time, monetize it and then give it back to that, that broadcaster. Um, and again, you know, I think, I think you, you, were, you would probably have been surprised many years ago when you first looked at it, you'd probably be more surprised now when you go back into these places and realize that things have not changed drastically. Um, I, I'm not gonna mention the name of, of a client, but um, a company that I worked with, but I was really surprised as one of the, the biggest media companies in the world, um, how their IP arrangements were formed and how it provided very little protection for the content owner um, and little visibility in how to. So, so these things have, have not moved on drastically in mainstream media, um, but I think technology naturally provides solutions for this across, across the web.
I think this is kind of the biggest thing and I think a critical element uh, that we have to consider increasingly. So I want to talk, of course, and I know that you have limited time, so probably one of the last two questions. So in terms of the NFT, the NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens, um, so this is kind of making a big revolution, uh, a revolution both from the perspective of IP, from the perspective of ownership of data and creative arts. Um, but it's going to be, for, mom for the moment, of course, it's already in the first stage of the year, around $3 billion economy. Uh, I'm talking about sales. Um, and for instance, alone, uh, OpenSea sold around $150 million in June. And for instance, it's interesting to see if you go to OpenSea, you have Fortune Media creating their own NFTs, you have The Economist, you have a lot of different things. But uh, of course, with film, um, for instance, you have Ian McKellen on your platform, but for instance, recently, uh, John um, Anthony Hopkins launched a film entirely as an NFT. There's a couple of case studies of uh, filmmakers that are releasing um, creative uh, films or shorts in this. I think the biggest case right now is Mila Kunis, Kunis and her husband, Aston Kutcher, that mm -hmm. launched an entire new series for NFTs with actually mm -hmm. Ethereum founder, which is actually very cool. Mostly it's a series of animated uh, adult uh, um, cartoons um, that you can actually buy and collect. Um, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of these things are really massive. Well, from it's already from a scale perspective, it's already massive, the possibilities that we have here, because in the end of the day, you can actually own this and you can scale, for instance, I think the, the Milikunis uh, example is actually particularly interesting. Um, because it, it brings a kind of a new component. And I want to touch this and I want to see how you see this and as well the possibilities in a platform like yours, um, how we can actually take this. So, so I will just use for people listening to us because this is uh, the, the Mila Kunis is quite new. Uh, and I think it's probably one of the most interesting ones. So it's called the Stoner Cats um, and it's making millions selling NFTs. And what is interesting is the platform actually, ironic, the website is very weak. That's another problem, but this is actually impressive, the names that they have there and everything working. So they, for instance, um, in terms of uh, the the Stoner Cats, let me, I'll share the screen because I think I would love everyone to listen yes. to this and I want to confront as well you and the audience with this um, because I think it's an important, I think we need to do a live about these things on the YouTube in the near future, but so <laughs> this is Stoner Cats. So this is the episodes you can buy it. And what is interesting is look at the names here. This is kind of the biggest names in the planet. You have Jane Fonda, Mila Kunis, wow. Aston Kutcher, Seth McFarlane, um, Chris Rock, and Vitalik. Okay, this is kind of, well, there's at least Vitalik is a billionaire, Aston Kutcher, and Jane Fonda, of course, is an icon, but she's actually here. And actually, the, this is a very, very well done. The website is actually very bad, to be honest. Yeah. I was expecting them to do something more advanced. But if you see... You can see the entire cartoon and this is a completely mainstream media stuff. But what is interesting here is that if you want to buy, and this is interesting model. Okay. So this was already sold out uh, mm -hmm. for some of these things. So you can actually buy um, some of the tokens around the personalities of the, the cats and the, the, the series, because it's actually very well done, to be honest. Uh, and uh, here it is co-creation. 1% co-creation community and then 10% co-creation giveaways. So that's 2000 tokens that are giving away. There's movie posters that will be released yeah. as collectives. This is amazing, to be honest. I think the challenge is that this is done with a website that, of course, unless you are a fan of Mila Kunis or Aston Kutcher, you'll find this. And uh, 
<laughs> of course, even Chris Rock and this, I think this should have been launched in a bigger platform, but they, they're deliberately doing it in a, in a closed platform. But this isn't a challenge as well and an opportunity. Of course, having, I'm sure having, having um, someone like uh, Vitalik behind this, which is a billionaire and the founder of, of, of Ethereum, <laughs> will help as well getting the crypto community behind this. Of course, it's a completely different ballgame. But the quality of the production is massive, and as you see here. But the irony is if I want to buy this, okay, here I am. I can go to OpenSea now. And as you see here, there's 3,400 people that can actually buy the Stoner Cats. Here it is this so you're buying purely just collectives um so i want to touch this coming back right now to your platform and i know that you're trying to bring new models and i'm going to be collaborating with you on that so disclosure in the great way because i really want to to mainstream this is the challenge is if i want to buy one of these stone cats okay i need to buy this so this costs two thousand four hundred dollars um so of course this is quite a and, and of course, this is kind of, of course, a big thing. Here it is, the people that can buy and so forth. But if I buy this, then I have to get my MetaMask. And then yeah. for my MetaMask, it's very complicated if I'm not a crypto yeah. guy. And then even for me that I'm, <laughs> I've been in the inception of crypto and blockchain, I still struggle sometimes to do this right. And I still do mistakes. And even people, my friends, that I have one of the biggest guys in crypto was scammed. And I'm talking really someone very big. So I just want to understand um, how do you see this innovation model being applied to what you're doing? Because of course, this is there's no doubt this is like the beginning of the internet um, that uh, your wallet is going to be the way for you to sell. But you need to democratize the UI UX and democratize other things. But the business model, and coming back to the Stone Cats, is really a, an interesting one for what you're doing. Because for instance, if you have a collective of artists and you can actually make a big, of course, you need to have a huge marketing splash and some kind of star power to take this forward and of course Aston the customer is not just a star is as well one of the biggest um, small investors in Hollywood in Hollywood and in Silicon Valley actually and and of course we have in this case like 10 of the global superstars for Jane Fonda there's nothing bigger than that and even Mila Kunis so I want to hear how do you see this because you have big names as well and you are creating a massive I, I love the fact that you're trying to give the money straight away to the artist straight away and this is kind of key because that's this makes a difference for an artist okay because i know a lot of artists that have to have like 10 jobs to survive okay and yes, most of the jobs yeah, are crappy yeah. jobs to keep their art going and i'm talking big filmmakers i'm not talking uh unless you yeah. are successful enough to like you and me that come from a technology background and, and finance or whatever the stuff so can you just i want to touch the nft and the solutions yeah. that come out of this I, I think, I'll uh, be, uh, be as brief as I can, but I think NFT is going to be the future revenue stream for lots of different creators. For film, I think it presents a huge opportunity for people to tokenize their work. And, and for me, the, also the interesting part is uh, the unlockable tokens that a purchase can give because it, it not only gives a very profound ability for a creator to earn money through an NFT, but gives them the ability to, to build relationships with their fans who can <clears throat> start collecting digital versions of that. So there's, there's only been a few examples, but I do think that NFTs, I think NFTs and independent film are, are, are a perfect, perfect match because um, right now I feel as though NFTs have been kind of focused on this sort of meme video culture. And it's, you know, like you've seen, uh, uh, you've got some of the most powerful people in Hollywood and they've created a very short, very simple animation about cats, and and it's and it's great. But there's a lot of really rich, strong narrative culture out there that 
fans really want to be a part of. And I think it gives a, a really good opportunity for independent filmmakers. The great thing, again, going back to the question on royalty, is that you can write almost anything in the NFT to allow residual payments to the filmmaker of the NFT. So you can, for example, we, we did an NFT where we wrote in, um, you get to keep 10% um, of any future royalty payments back. So you can keep monetizing for, for the long term. But you're completely right. And I think the, the difficulty is that most people don't know how to buy them. Most artists don't know how to mint them. I, I, am, I, I am able to mint an NFT and I work in technology and I still found it a challenge to do. So your average artist is going to struggle and their fans and their friends and their, their network might find it difficult to buy it. And this is where pause comes in because what we're, what we're looking to do in the future is bake in we're integrating, we want to integrate an NFT marketplace within a streaming ecosystem that uh, uh, makes it really easy and seamless. And this is why we're collaborating with you. We, we want to create a, a user-friendly NFT um, experience so that people can stream and then also tip and follow that filmmaker and build a relationship, but also purchase, just like you purchase merchandise, you purchase an NFT relating to that to that content. And there's an, a million different ways that you can split NFTs. You can even do NFT tickets to, in order to, to get access to a screening. You can get NFT tickets within a, within a metaverse and a virtual a virtual world. I mean, there's there's a huge amount of opportunity when it comes to, to NFTs. Um, but the crux of it is that this is going to be a serious revenue stream for filmmakers. Um, and the importance here isn't about the opportunities and the tokens, but it's about creating it in, in a user-friendly environment. Why would you marry streaming and a video platform like Pause with NFTs? Well, it's the same reason why you sell t-shirts at a concert, right? It's because people want to be able to signpost and signal the fact that they have purchased something within an environment where they're consuming that piece of culture or entertainment. It's, it's much more than about ownership and investment. It's also about bragging rights as well. It's about the ability to support, but also say, I own a part or I have a digital collectible that is related to that piece of work. And so at pause, this is what we're, we're looking to do in the future. Super excited to be working with you on that, Dinesh, and, and, um, and the future possibilities and NFTs are endless. But for me, for any creators who are watching this and you don't know a huge amount about NFTs, please, please understand it as much as possible because it's going to be the future of how you are able to monetize your work and earn revenue from it. If we can democratize it, so it's not just for the crypto the, the crypto community, so it's not just for the people who understand uh, how to mint and they understand gas fees, which most people don't. Um, uh, if we can democratize that that user journey, then the possibilities of, of NFTs and tokenizing content, tokenizing uh, editions of content, tokenizing film posters, tokenizing film scripts, the, the, the possibilities are completely endless. And, and so I'm very excited for the future of pause and NFTs and working with you on that as well. Definitely excited. I know that you have to go, so I, I want to thank you for this. And uh, and there's a lot of things I suggest for people to listen to this, especially if you are into film and creative industries, because there's a lot of uh, pearls of wisdom here. And Rishi is definitely um, an expert on this. I think just for people listening to us, I really advise you to go to pause.tv, um, P-O-U-S.tv. I would suggest as well that you study the platform, uh, sign up, and, um, and look at there's fantastic things. Well, of course, there's Ian McKellen for the ones that want something more mainstream that you have uh, from dramas to short films to a night at the theater, animated shorts, documentaries, 
Skyfi and a lot of fantastic things here. It's really a fantastic work. There's as well a series of filmmakers questions. I, I showed that before with people like um, even Richard Branson that has produced yeah. some of the series here. But I know that you have a lot of cutting edge, bigger filmmakers coming on board. I don't know if you want to announce that or not. We might get that in a second. Yeah, one. I but mean, I, it's, some of that is confidential. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm, so I'm a huge I'll fan of what you're doing. For the next one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So the same year and uh, congratulations first of all okay this is not easy and let's make it mainstream and for people listening to us especially guys that have more uh, crypto power please get on on board on this and let's use this crypto power to really create some cool stuff thank you so much and uh, talk soon Cheers. thank you take care thank you